Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for curious event professionals who want to stay ahead of the game by hearing from the leading innovators in the event industry. My name is Miguel Nevsh and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventMB. In this episode titled Real People in Real Places in Real Time, I have the pleasure of speaking with Park Gilligan, Managing Partner of Solnua and Chief Marketing Officer of Site Global. We cover a lot of topics around incentive travel and motivational events, including how incentive travel is unique in the way that it starts in the business environment, but actualizes in the tourism industry. We talk about how rewarding and recognizing people is crucial to the success of a company. We talk about how incentive travel has evolved to include motivational events. And we talk about why it's important to connect incentive objectives with destinations and to connect incentive participants with people at the destination. And we talk about why a lack of human resources and climate justice are the two big challenges ahead for the event industry. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out all the other episodes of the Event Manager Podcast with tips and insights from today's most influential event professionals. You can find all the episodes on our website, or you can subscribe through your favorite podcast service. Detroit has always been America's assembly line of creativity and innovation. It's home to groundbreakers, movers and shakers, the next generation that will change the nation. Bring your meeting to Detroit, then take it all in. Award-winning dining, a captivating live music scene, and world-class outdoor spaces like America's Top River Walk, as ranked by USA Today. This is your invitation to join America's true originals. Plan your meeting in Detroit. Get started at visitdetroit.com. Welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, and I am joined by the uh, outstanding Parik Gilligan, Chief Marketing Officer of Site Global and Managing Partner at Solnua. Parik, thank you for joining us today. I'm thrilled to be here. It's a great honor. It's a lot of fun. We haven't caught up in a long time. I mean, we've, we've known each other for, for a long time, but uh, for those who don't know who you are, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your, your journey to where you are today? Sure, sure. So my name is uh, Porik Gilligan, uh, which is always a, a kind of a, a talking point. Porik is uh, P-A-D-R-A-I-C. It's it's an Irish name. It means Patrick. Um, but um, unlike my business partner, who who also is a Porik uh, and who decided that for convenience, he changed his name to, to Patrick. I never changed. And um, I've, I've lived with the consequences ever since. So uh, uh, people who know me, uh, and know that they know me, still struggle. And I can see their eyes kind of making great efforts to try and kind of decipher the, the collection of letters that they see on my name badge because they know it's a P sounding word, but how do you say it? But it's Porik. I always say um, a dog's paw and a Rick Shaw. So Porik is the, the best way to, to, to say it. Um, yeah, so I who am I? I, I? I've been in the events industry since... Um, Probably since I worked as an Italian-speaking tour guide in the uh, in the late eighties, um, which kind of happened by accident, uh, I was pursuing at the time a career as an academic. Believe it or not, uh, doing research into uh, Dante and Samuel Beckett. Dante is a medieval Italian poet, and Samuel Beckett is a uh, a Franco-Irish uh, uh, dramatist, poet, and philosopher. Uh, of the the 20th century so there's a connection between them believe it or not and uh, I was determined to make it my life's work to figure out what that connection was but there was no money in it and uh, I had a growing family and realized I was going to have to do something else to supplement my meager income as an academic so I I was in my uh, department in in University College Dublin and a call came through to the secretary uh, from the Irish Tourist Board in Milan who were looking for a an interpreter to work with an Italian journalist who was visiting Ireland. I think it was 1987. And um, I was the only one in the department on that day. So I was asked, would I, would I do it? And I said, sure, I did it. Uh, the Italian journalist turned out to be Alberto Moravia. Alberto Moravia is uh, the James Joyce of Italy. He's a absolute incredibly well-known, highly reputable novelist of the 20th century. He was in his 80s at the time. And uh, when I heard uh, who it was, I was going to be actually conducting um, around Ireland uh, as, as a tour guide. I was um, absolutely thrilled. 
So I spent about 10 days with Alberto Moravia and his entourage. And uh, he wrote a series of articles for the Corriere della Sera, which is uh, an Italian daily about Ireland. And um, I suppose that became the connection between, I suppose, being a a kind of an academic on the one hand and um, being somebody who loves being with people and loves talking about his country to people. That became the conduit. And um, from then on, I kind of realised that there was another world out there that might channel some of the uh, the interests that I had, while at the same time perhaps providing a better remuneration at the end of the day than you got as uh, as an academic. So that's how it started. Um, I worked as a tour guide during my summer holidays from from university and from school. I was also teaching in a secondary school at the time, and uh, my lifelong friend Patrick Delaney, who uh, has been a, uh, a recent guest on this podcast and who recommended me actually to to, to speak on it. Uh, thanks, Pat, for that. Appreciate it. But, <laughs> it wasn't um, the only one. Karina Bauer had recommended you already in a previous episode, so you're the first person with two recommendations. So you must oh, be very that, honoured. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear. But but Patrick had worked for the Irish Tourist Board in the United States for many many years and was um, considering coming back to Ireland with his uh, young, growing family uh, in order to um, resettle here. And um, I had kind of moved into an area where there were points of intersection with what he did. So eventually in 1994, we managed to start a company together, uh, which had the name of Delaney Marketing Consultants, which I think Pat explained was a uh, an absolute uh, genius moment in his mind where he realized that Delaney Marketing Consultants made up the three letters of DMC and that that's what we were going to be. DMC at the time was actually relatively new as a term in our industry. So it did have a kind of a cachet and it did have a, um, uh, a kind of an interest or a focus to it. Um, the, the existing DMCs in Ireland weren't too happy when we described ourselves as Ireland's leading DMC, uh, not having operated a single program. But uh, over time, they learned to live with us and we learned to live with them. And uh, yeah, so since 1994, I've been in this industry and um, having kind of worked previously as as a teacher. That's how I got to where I am now. And so you knew uh, Patrick from before all this, you were you were kind of friends from childhood. How, How did that happen? We're, we're friends since the early 70s. And again, there's a coincidence or a serendipity to that too. Um, Patrick didn't grow up in the same area as I did. Um, we lived actually probably, you know, 10 miles um, apart in totally different neighborhoods. But uh, Pat knew a boy on my road who was confined to a wheelchair and confined to his house and used to visit that boy in the 70s. And I used to visit him too. His name was Eddie McCaffrey. And uh, we, we became friends, as, as we did with many, many others. Uh, this boy was uh, an extraordinary phenomenon, never really left his house, but kind of gathered around them a whole community of people that have become lifelong friends as a result of that. So we, I think we go back to about 1974. Great. So that was, uh, you know, the, the start of the career and, and the connection with Patrick Delaney. And then you went on to uh, becoming Ovation, Ovation Group, MCI. It's 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 quite a journey. Um, and I think you are now in the role of Chief Marketing Officer at Site, but you've been involved with Site for a long time. Could you just guide us through, maybe just explain what Site is, why you were involved and how you became the Chief Marketing Officer? So CITE is the Society for Incentive Travel Excellence. And uh, in 2023, Miguel, as you probably know, we will celebrate 50 years on this planet, uh, which is uh, an extraordinary achievement. Uh, So CITE goes back to 1973. And CITE became important, I think, in the context of many tourist boards, but in particular, the Irish Tourist Board, uh, which was headquartered in New York, in the 70s and the 80s. And uh, the Irish Tourist Board identified site as an important association to be part of in terms of um, finding an audience that would be interested in a destination story that might be a bit different from a normal tour and travel kind of uh, conversation that might take place. Mm-hmm. So the Irish Tourist Board had a long-standing relationship with site. Patrick, when he worked for the Irish Tourist Board, um, 
got on the coattails of that and became president of SITE himself in 1991. So it has always been part of our kind of life uh, as an organization, as a company, uh, due to the legacy relationship with between our country that we, we work in, Ireland, and the association, and then also as a result of Pat's own legacy as, uh, as, as president of SITE. So it was natural for me to get involved as well. Pat had kind of, you know, blazed the trail through the organization, had been on the board, had become president, and was kind of going into a different relationship with SITE, mainly with the SITE Foundation, when I got involved in 1994. So I was involved in SITE uh, from the beginnings of Delaney Marketing and throughout the, the, the 90s, uh, very involved at different committee level, uh, involved in setting the setting up the chapter in Ireland with, with Sue Uda uh, and, and a lot of others at the time, uh, became chapter president in Ireland. And then Bill Boyd invited me to apply for the board. So I went forward for an election to the international board on, on, on Bill's recommendation and managed to get elected, served on the board for six years and then became president myself in 2008 with uh, the annual conference taking place that year in uh, in Montreux in Switzerland, which was which was amazing. And then after that, um, continued to be involved in site. It's in a way, site is the voice of the incentive travel professional and the incentive travel profession, and um, it plays a hugely important role. Um, EIC has done great research over the years with Ox Oxford Economics and uh, SITE has been always very interested in where does incentive travel fit within that overall research. And, you know, triangulating different kind of studies, uh, we've, we've, we've actually de devised our own kind of metrics. So incentive travel is about $78 billion uh, uh, as of, say, 2018. So it's a significant chunk of change, as they say, in terms of its economic punch on, 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 a, on a global basis. However, that only makes it about 8% of the business events industry. Um, most business events are in the areas of corporate meetings, uh, association conferences, and so on. But when you drill down into the incentive travel bit, what you realize is that, first of all, it's the fastest growing. It's been growing consistently over the last 10 years, um, obviously uh, COVID uh, accepted. And it's also the sector of the business events industry that probably touches the single biggest number of, um, of players uh, on what might be regarded as a, a, a tourism and economic spectrum. Insofar as incentive travel, originates within a corporation which is seeking to um, introduce a performance improvement uh, methodology uh, uh, you know, in relation to sales, in relation to staff and retention, in relation to whatever objective they, they, they might have. So it starts very much in the business environment. Mm -hmm. However, its expression is as a tourism um, activity insofar as the, 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 the prize for the qualifiers who reach the incentive travel uh, goal is to have an extraordinary travel experience in a destination. So if, if you look at the breadth of that on, on a spectrum, it's, it's incredibly wide. So the number of points that it influences and it impacts is significantly bigger, probably than the other elements of the, the business events uh, acronym, which would be the, the classic MICE that a lot of people don't yeah. like to hear, but it's uh, it's useful because it, it's meetings, incentives, conferences, events, and certainly from a a, a tourist board and a, a CVB and a DMO perspective, it is useful because most DMOs are interested in those four elements. Uh, it, yeah. it defines what they do. So, site we describe ourselves as as the as the eye in mice, and uh, we definitely, I think, have reached that point of, of, of reputation and notoriety, if you like, where we can be regarded justifiably as the voice uh, for incentive, for the incentive travel profession. I'd be interested to get your take. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, the Tourism Board of Ireland had a big interest in sight and a big interest in incentive travel. Um, are there kind of specific reasons for that? Is this a, 
you know, site being a sort of North American based organization and, you know, is it to try and attract that North American kind of incentive market? Uh, but also is it, you know, because Ireland as a destination kind of works well for smaller groups. I assume that, you know, most incentive travel is, is relatively smaller than, I guess, conferences and trade shows and that kind of thing. I think all of the above, Miguel, I think that's the interesting thing. And probably, you know, a, a large dose of, of luck and serendipity in there as well. Um, frequently things happen because people meet in bars or people meet kind of uh, coincidentally somewhere and have a conversation. And I think Sight was active in um, in North America at a time when the Irish Tourist Board was looking beyond pure tour and, uh, and travel in terms of the markets that it, it should be actually tapping into. And I think incentive travel has lots to recommend us to a destination uh, in terms of seasonality. So it's outside of the classic tour and travel season. Regionality, it typically goes to off the beaten track locations and resorts and so on. And then um, spend, it, it, it spends, the, the spend per head for an incentive travel visitor is probably four to five times that of a leisure visitor. So there's a huge amount to recommend it. And then bring in the, the whole sustainability filter and it makes even more sense. Uh, you need fewer incentive travel visitors experiencing very high level um, destination experiences. Uh, to generate the same amount of, of revenue as would come from multiple numbers of leisure. So it, it, it does make sense. Um, and I think the Irish Tourist Board realised that even all those decades ago, that, that this was a particular kind of sector that made sense for our destination. We're a small destination and, um, you know, we, 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 we do well. We, we prosper in that area of small to mid-size incentive travel experiences because I think they best suit uh, the, the connectivity that really is at the heart of an incentive travel experience that's truly transformational, that goes beyond just surface level kind of interaction with a destination. So I'd love you to expand on that a bit more. And, and I kind of would like to frame it in the sense of, you know, what makes a, a good incentive trip and what makes a great incentive trip you know how do you really create that transformative experience in your mind the yeah what 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 makes a great trip is is when you can connect incentive qualifiers uh with the essence of the destination and that's can you give us an example of 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 something yeah you you know that works well I'm working up to it. Um, <laughs> it <laughs> I need a bit of a runway for this one. But um, I, I think if, if you think of, you know, a typical tour and travel experience involves a kind of a surface level interaction. So you, you, you go, you sit in a motor coach and you look out the window and you see the destination when you look out the window and you appreciate it as, you know, a pretty location or whatever. And then you get off your motor coach or you get out of your rental car and you go into a visitor attraction and you're part of a large group that brings you around that visitor attraction and shows you the, um, you know, the historical importance of what you're seeing. Um, with, with incentive travel, you pierce through that surface. That's what incentive travel needs to do. It needs to actually bring a qualifier into what it is that makes the destination unique and special. And a lot of that is going to be mediated in and through the people who live in the destination. So incentive travel, that's, you know, to move it from from good to great, is going to always kind of involve connecting with people and stories in destinations and setting up meaningful dialogue, meaningful connections between the incentive qualifiers and the destination individuals who have those really, really compelling stories to tell. So instead of sitting in a motor coach looking out at the beautiful landscape, um, a good incentive, a great incentive travel experience will be in that landscape. You will be in that forest. You will be walking on that trail. 
you will be on a mountain bike going down the side of that hill. Um, but then you'll also be meeting the person who created the mountain bike trail and hearing the story as to how that came about. Um, you know, so you'll always be going beyond the surface, always connecting with something more than just what can be seen because incentive travel is really true immersion. That's an excellent uh, description. I think uh, you, you've definitely done your homework there when it comes to incentive travel, the true immersion. I like that. Um, so how do you explain all this to someone who may not be familiar with incentive travel? You know, I think, you know, larger companies, some companies have incentives sort of built into their structure, but there may be companies that don't and people that aren't really involved in this. How do you kind of bring this concept to people and make them kind of buy into it? I, I, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. And, and I think it's one that we all kind of, we all struggle with. Like, how do you tell your grandmother what you do if you're a meeting planner or if you're a planner of incentive travel experiences? It, Yeah. It's not. And I think one of the things that one of, one of the sort of the contexts that we need to rely upon is one that we don't really like. We need to rely on that kind of tourism platform or that tourism context to explain what it is we do. And of course, that, that limits, that's very reductive in terms of what incentive travel represents. It's not a tourism activity per se, although undoubtedly there are tour touristic elements to it. There's no doubt because it involves visiting a destination as somebody from outside that destination. And that's how we often define tourism. But I think it, it's a little bit easier within a business context because we can all, everybody understands reward and recognition. Uh, and I think more and more, as companies get more focused into things like, you know, purpose uh, and meaning and culture, uh, reward and recognition becomes even more important. Um, you know, I think we're all aware of all of those surveys that are conducted with, particularly with, with younger members of a, of a workforce where the things that perhaps, and I spoke about it earlier on when I was talking about my own journey, I said, like, I didn't have enough money. I wasn't earning enough money to, to, to bring up my family. Now, um, money is not the reason why people stay with a particular employer. And uh, that's what the research is telling us very, very clearly. Uh, it's something much more. And that's where purpose and uh, meaning and culture comes in. And as part of that, then, in order to to be a purposeful company, in order to have meaning, in order to have a vibrant company culture, there needs to be a reward and recognition uh, element built into how the company does its business and how it interacts with its, uh, with, with, with its people. So within that context, it's easy to talk about incentive travel because, you know, so how do I reward and recognize somebody? Well, I can give them cash. I can give them a merchandise gift uh, or I can give them something that money can't buy, which is a transformative experience. And that's where we want incentive travel to be seen. We want incentive travel to be understood as that money can't buy experience that ultimately kind of creates memories that are deep and lasting and that connect people with other people and ultimately perhaps with the work environment that out of which the incentive travel experience was generated in the first instance. So I think, you know, to explain that, you know, what I do is I, I help companies uh, generate the ultimate reward and recognition programs for the people that are crucial to their success. I think that that becomes a good starting point to explain what incentive travel is. I get, and this, I mean, it normally is a, a sales team kind of incentive. Is that the, the, the normal use of it? Or are there other good examples of kind of recognizing and rewarding other teams within companies? Yeah, I, I think that has been the traditional focus for incentive travel. But what, what we've seen, Site Foundation conducts 
uh, research on an annual basis with two other partners who are also uh, associations in this in this industry, FICP and IRF. And what we've seen with the Incentive Travel Industry Index is that the key focus of success for an incentive travel experience is less the return on financial objectives that are actually generated and more the return on soft objectives. So the fostering of relationships and the connections between uh, officers and employees and the reinforcement of a company ethos and and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think what's, what's emerging now, particularly in the context of diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, companies are now asking, well, hold on a second. Is this fulfilling our equity uh, focus if we create an elite program that only rewards the top qualifying individuals? Should we not be doing something more generic? Should we not be doing more of a trip that actually brings everybody together? So I think some companies are doing that. And uh, I was interested during the, uh, the, the lockdown to read about companies who had decided to divert all of the budget that it, they had put into real estate and into essentially kind of creating, um, you know, permanent work environments for, the, for their people. They were taking budget out of that and instead putting it into the creation of a quarterly company trip where the entire workforce would be brought together on a social basis and connected with each other on the basis that, you know, this working from home thing for them was was continuing to work very, very well. It was Mm -hmm. working very, very well for their employees, but the missing piece was the connections that happen in the live environment. So, okay, let's do that on a regular basis by just bringing people together in a location. And um, there were numerous articles, I think certainly your own <laughs> organization published many of them, Miguel, which, which highlighted that as, as a new emerging trend within our industry. And incentive travel, or a, let's say a variation of incentive travel, a redefined incentive travel is exactly the, the mechanism that can allow that particular behavior to happen in a very, very effective way. Would you say then that we need a new name for incentive travel? Because it sounds like maybe the incentive part of it is outdated in some situations, right? It's brilliant. And yes, we already have it. Like we, we, we are increasingly referring to incentive travel as incentive travel and motivational events. So the, the motivational events takes into account the, uh, that, that missing piece because incentive travel is um is a very very specific uh, a very very specifically defined uh form of uh you know behavior modification or performance enhancement in an organization that involves a whole kind of series of events over a period of time that leads eventually to the um the qualifiers uh, going to a destination but a key element in it is that the cost of the entire trip is actually covered by the incremental revenue that's generated in and through the incentive contest so it is it is it is it is a highly defined and understood concept and i think adding in motivational events uh, gives that broader perspective of um of, of travel and events as a mechanism that allows us to foster relationships build culture and uh, do all of those soft power things that are increasingly important for companies. And, and from the companies kind of organizing the what is traditionally called incentive travel, does it change anything? Do you feel like the you know, activities or the way you conduct and recognize people within the activities changes if it's more of like a, a general motivational department wide um, trip? It definitely does. I, I remember years ago, like as a, as a DMC, I think it was, I don't know, the late 90s. I remember uh, running a program for a, uh, a, a US, um, I think they were car dealers. And um, the, the, the meeting planner uh, had taken instructions, obviously, from the, uh, uh, from the client. And the client had instructed that all of the officers of the company would be given 
uh, suites in the hotel and uh, they were they were kind of seated together uh, at, at dinner functions apart from the actual qualifiers. And I remember thinking at the time, this is, this is a little bit odd. Do you know, if, if this is supposed to be an experience that brings everybody together, why would you actually divide people in that particular way and, and, and create a kind of an apartheid between those who are the officers in the company and those who have simply qualified for the trip? And sure enough, like I, I don't think I've ever seen it again, but it was a practice. Um, and, and, and I ex- expect it was a practice that, that needed to be uh, examined and interrogated and changed because uh, incentive travel needs to implement design elements that actually foster connections rather than foster division. Uh, so certainly now, a lot of the programs that you will see, if there's a seating plan, you will have the CEO at, at, a, at a table, you'll have the CFO at a different table, you'll have the CMO somewhere else, but they will all be actively engaging and connecting with the qualifiers on the basis that everybody understands without the qualifiers, the company is not making the profits that it has made. So they're, they're the important ones, not the officers. It, it does sound, uh, and maybe you can confirm on your end, that incentive travel and the activities around it and the way you conduct it has developed quite a lot as we understand motivation in the workforce and as traditions and, and, and the way we, we work in offices and in organizations has changed over the last few years. There must be a, a reflection of that in incentive travel as well. There is. And again, we, we, we called it out in one of our research programs over the last couple of years. We had a kind of a, a catchphrase that incentive travel used to be about hard dollars. Now it's about soft power. And, um, and, and, and that's how we're seeing programs being um, designed. To, to promote the soft power element. Uh, the hard dollars are always welcome. So if you can generate a bottom line that's, that's positive as a result of an incentive travel experience, all the better. But it's no longer the sole focus of the trip in a way that it would have been back in the 70s and the 80s. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So, I mean, last couple of years, COVID pandemic, uh, you know, fingers crossed, we are recording this in early April 2022. Uh, things are, are looking positive, but it's been a, a pretty dark period for incentive travel, pretty dark period for the whole industry. But I think particularly incentive travel, a lot of kind of things just went on pause for a little while. Could you just take me quickly without trying to get too negative through that and and kind of you know what you're seeing now and what makes you kind of really look at it in a positive light now well i think you know the the, the pandemic was catastrophic there's there's no two ways about it for the industry in so many different ways and i think it kind of called into question um a lot of the relationships that were at the heart of of our industry um and when I say called into question, I mean probably in a positive way. I think a lot of buyers of incentive travel experience uh, realized that because they could rely on relationships with their suppliers, they were able to save a lot of money in cancellation charges, um, in um, all of the, the negative aspects, the negative financial aspects of having kind of, you know, confirmed something and then needing to unconfirm it because you weren't able to actually activate it and um you know would i'd say a few small exceptions in most cases relationships are stronger now as a result of the pandemic because of the way that people worked together um so that 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 that's one thing that, that has happened uh, the, the other thing that needs to be said miguel is that the 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 incidence of activation of incentive travel programs around the world has not been consistent at all 
And in the United States in particular, uh, incentive travel programs were activated in 2020 and in 2021 uh, in ways that they probably weren't in Europe. So what, what we lost pretty much immediately was we lost international programs. So uh, an American company staging an event in, in, in Italy, that just didn't happen. Um, a German company staging an event in Thailand, that didn't happen. Uh, but, but what gradually returned, and, and I say gradually, but I really, it, it was quickly enough in the United States, uh, there was kind of a refocus on domestic, which continues. And uh, international programs did operate, but not in an international destination, in a domestic destination. And a lot of, uh, we saw a lot of our US in incentive uh, houses were able to kind of uh, reaccommodate programs at short notice uh, in domestic locations. In some cases, the domestic locations were within driving distance of the majority of where the qualifiers were living. So it actually kind of, you know, it got as local as that in, in, in some cases. Um, so that's the first thing. It, it didn't disappear. Uh, mm -hmm. It didn't disappear the way that international disappeared. And, and that's important because it, 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 it creates a kind of a continuity. Uh, and, and it creates a continuity, I think, in, in program activation as well, because incentive programs are launched this year for delivery next year. Uh, we have an interesting situation in 2022 because most DMCs around the world are off the charts busy at the moment because they're delivering 2020 programs and 2021 programs in addition to 2022 programs in 2022. And, and that's created a kind of a, a massive congestion. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out in 23 and 24, but certainly the research is showing us that incentive travel is back. Um, uh, it's back domestically. It's back in so it's back regionally as well. And in some cases it's back internationally. Um, long haul is probably a little bit further uh, down the line before it will recover. Uh, I think psychologically people still have issues about being so far away from home as, you know, maybe a 12 hour flight or a 15 hour flight. So I don't think um, we'll see long haul until maybe 24, 25. Um, but, uh, but certainly while, while it was catastrophic for our industry, our industry is very resilient and we did find ways to operate even in 2020. Uh, at that kind of local level. So just a kind of a, a curious question in, in some sense, this going local, does this, you know, there's, are there challenges there in terms of motivation that, you know, that amazing trip, you know, there's that allure of doing something that you normally wouldn't do or going to a destination that's a little bit maybe out of your budget or something. Did that bring challenges and how did you kind of overcome that and kind of make the local trips more attractive? Is there a sort of general thread around that? I think that's where the dark art of marketing comes in, Miguel. Really, is this, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, like obviously, I think, I think you know, when we think of bucket list experiences, we always think of, oh, Table Mountain, the Great Wall of China, Iguazu Falls. We, we think of these kind of iconic um, pictures that we've seen and uh, you know we want to go there it's a little it's a little bit kind of more challenging to think think of something that's in your own backyard as having the same sort of transformative uh, or potentially transformative impact on you but I think I, th I think that's where you know the incentive travel community has had to really uh, extend itself from from a marketing and a promotions perspective and find ways of telling stories about local experiences that made them truly compelling. And I don't think, I remember having a discussion with somebody about languages. I'm an Italian speaker, as I said earlier on, and I know French and I can understand Spanish and Portuguese because they're kind of similar, but I don't understand Slav languages. And when I listen to them, they don't appeal to me in the same way as the beautiful mellifluous tones of, of a Latin language appeal. Remember somebody saying, all languages are beautiful when you speak them. You know, all languages are beautiful when you understand them. And, and I think it's exactly the same 
with 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 destination experiences. Um, you know, and, and a lot of us during the millennium discovered our own neighborhoods in new ways because, like, you know, in, in Ireland, we were limited to a two-kilometer two kind of radius from our home for periods of, of, of the lockdown. I discovered highways and byways in my own locality that I didn't know existed and, uh, you know, developed a new relationship with my own neighborhood. And I think that that is also possible for incentive travel experiences. And all the only limit we have is the limit of our own imagination. And I think that's, you know, that's the space that marketeers live in. And, and I think it's, it's finding ways of mediating the, the novelty, the innovation and the beauty of a local experience is, is, is the challenge. But it can be done. Sounds. Yeah, absolutely. Is there an opportunity there for sustainability and, and kind of getting people to connect more with the local community, kind of helping them do that in ways that maybe they weren't doing before as a business well, and also as individuals? It's also the justification for doing it, isn't it? Do you know, like if we're serious about sustainability, well, then we should be actually making purposeful decisions in relation to how far we're traveling and how we're traveling uh, to access those particular experiences. Um, so, yes, there, there, there's the whole sustainability issue in relation, say, to, um, you know, to climate justice, climate change and making sure that our travel is responsible travel in terms of you know carbon emissions and stuff like that and then there's the sustainability story in in terms of contributing to local communities and uh, making sure that you know we're we're we're, we're charitable at home as re- as well as being charitable abroad so yeah very definitely yeah and i was referring more to that that cultural and and kind of social side of things i think that's there's there's lots of opportunities there that i think sometimes are are missed when we focus on long haul and kind of the grandiose kind of big uh, big targets and, and and big trips like that exactly exactly very definitely i agree with that so um wanted to touch a little bit on kind of innovation um if where do you see innovation happening in incentive travel and i guess we've, we've talked about a little bit about this is there any kind of technology that's that's really um interesting um that's being used in incentive travel and it doesn't have to be technology i mean innovation can take many forms but what what kind of innovation are you seeing in this particular sector well i, I think the the innovation that we've just actually discussed in, in, in other words kind of turning sort of um turning thought processes on their head and asking people to think local and see beauty in local and see uh, motivation and inspiration in a local or a domestic experience as opposed to uh, believing that the only way travel can be motivational is when it's getting on a plane and you know going for 12 hours to see something that you've seen a picture of uh, on your kind of TV screen. I think that's a that's a really important innovation. And I think with with the whole climate justice thing, uh, it will become more and more important. Um, I don't think that travel will go away. In other words, and, and, and when you look at the actual impact of um, of, of travel itself on, on carbon emissions, it's it's not as extensive as perhaps it might appear at all. Um, But I do think that it will be more purposeful and I do think it will be more intentional. Uh, We won't just get on a plane. We'll get on a plane having kind of considered all of the um, implications of that and having uh, laid off whatever needs to be laid off by way of... um, uh, you know, recompense for what is actually happening in terms of kind of, uh, you know, the way that that's done. Um, so th- there, there, there will be innovation, I think, in, in terms of incentive travel and choices of destinations. When, when it comes to technology, I think, you know, we, we saw some great innovation during the pandemic years where uh, we were able to continue to select destinations because uh, technology has come to the fore that allows a site inspection to take place, um, you know, through a dedicated platform that that links together different elements in a destination. Uh, in fact, one of our winners in the Site Crystal Awards actually 
you know, maybe I shouldn't say this yet, but this in case this goes out before before the Crystal Awards, but we, we do have a, a winner in the Crystal Awards, so I won't name what it is, that, that is all centred around uh, innovation and technology and um, enabling site inspections to take place virtually. Uh, now, I think that's a wonderful thing because, uh, you know, if you can cut down on two or three trips to a destination uh, because you can now do it o- over Zoom, you're saving a huge amount of time and you're saving a huge amount of, um, of carbon emissions as well. Uh, so I think that that's very, very good. But ultimately, I suppose, you know, insofar as, you know, innovation is often associated with technology. Technology will always have a limited application in a, an activity that is fundamentally about real people in real places in real time. Like, you know, that's the kind of the, that's the trinity really of, of, of what incentive travel is about. It's real people in real places in, in real time. You take out one of those and something very significant is missing from the experience. Um, so technology will be an enabler, uh, but it won't replace anything, uh, you know, because it, it's just contrary to the definition of what it is we're trying to achieve. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, I'd love to kind of get from you also your look towards the future. Um, you know, what do you see as kind of big challenges ahead? Obviously, kind of recovering the pandemic is is not sorted. There's a there's a compression that you've already talked about of incentive houses doing work of, of three years, maybe in one year. What do you see that the biggest challenges in the next few years and, and, and how, do you, how do you see companies addressing it or how are you trying to help companies address that? I think there's a variety of different challenges. I'll start with, uh, with resources, with human resources. Um, you know, the, the phrase, the great resignation. Uh, I, I think we've seen a great resignation from our industry. Um, huge numbers seem to have migrated into tech in particular. I think the tech world love people from a hospitality background because we have a great customer focus, which is not necessarily the, uh, you know, the seminal characteristic of, of, of technology. Um, so if they can get people who know how to deal with people, uh, that's a wonderful thing. So I know in our own destination here in Ireland, we've lost huge numbers of absolutely brilliant people uh, to tech. And um, you know, what tech gives them is more money and probably a better kind of work-life balance. So they, they, they are the two things that, that, that are gonna challenge us. You know, we, we have traditionally been, been an industry where the remuneration thing is not equitable throughout the entire kind of spectrum of people who are involved in it. Uh, so that needs to be in, ad- addressed in some way. And um, second of all, we're not an industry that's known for work-life balance. And when I say work-life balance, I, I don't think any, anybody has a problem about working intensely uh, over a period of time, or I don't think people have a problem not being in a nine-to-five environment or working on a weekend. I think it's the recompense. So if I, if I work five days in a row, including a, a weekend, you know, will I have time off to recover? And, uh, you know, having been, uh, you know, a, a leader in the DMC world, uh, I know that we struggled with that on the basis that there wasn't the time to recover because there was another program coming down the line. Um, so I think we were all, there's a kind of a, there's a momentum there that, that is almost a vicious circle. So we, we, we are a relatively kind of um, low paying environment. Uh, so we have to have lots of activity in order to actually generate the levels of income necessary to sustain a company and then to pay individuals in that company. So that just keeps going around and around. If, if people were paid more, if we charged more and people were paid more for individual programs, well, then we would have to do fewer of them in order to actually achieve those same levels of profitability. So I think, I think that's a big problem. I think, I think we need to address that. Um, I don't know how it can be addressed. 
Uh, but it is a problem. And, you know, certainly I'm seeing it with my own eyes here where, where people are literally, you know, going in their droves uh, because they're offered more money and a better work-life env environment. So that, that's one thing um, that we're going to have to actually deal with. I think climate justice is going to be a big issue for us over the next number of years. Um, I remember talking to Karina a number of years ago when there were lots of other issues impacting on our industry. And I remember Karina saying, you know, these issues we'll get over, but the one that we're not discussing now that's going to actually completely hamstring us is the whole issue of, 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 um, of climate justice. And, and I think that's true as well. So I, I've already said something about that, so I won't go into too, too much detail on it, but I, I do believe that we need to respond to it. Um, I think our travel needs, there needs to be a greater intentionality and purposefulness around our travel. In other words, you know, when we're going somewhere, we need to know exactly why and it needs to not just be because it's a good destination to go to. I think we, when, when we go places, we'll go places because that particular destination fulfills a variety of different requirements that we have as an organization. And those requirements inevitably will, will stretch from the financial side right over to the social side. So, so I, think, I think at the heart of our industry, Miguel, I think there is... There is a big kind of um, there is a big challenge, uh, you know, insofar as we are incentive travel. So, you know, we are travel, and travel at the moment has um, issues that it needs to to deal with. Um, now, I, I I kind of firmly believe that the benefits of interacting with destinations are greater than the cost of interaction, interacting with destinations. Um, you know, I'd be, uh, I fr frequently quote that wonderful phrase by Mark Twain, how, how travel is the enemy of bigotry. I, I think travel experiences are transformative because they make us more tolerant. They make us more understanding. They help us look each other in the eye. They help us understand, you know, different... Um, different ways of doing things. And I think that's crucial for everybody staying in their own country is not good. Uh, it's, it's not good in terms of the world that we actually live in. So, so travel enables tolerance and understanding and mutual respect. So it absolutely needs to, to, to happen. It's just too costly for the environment. So we need to kind of come up with ways of actually dealing with that. Yeah, that intentionality, as you mentioned, and uh, yeah. kind of focus. Um, related to this, just kind of quickly, is there any one particular thing in the industry that if you could have a, a magic wand and kind of instantly change that, that you would use your magic wand on? <laughs> it used to always upset me, Miguel, that we were such conspicuous consumers um, with huge amounts of 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 waste uh, i mean over the years i've 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 kind of seen programs where you know there would be very lavish buffets laid on that would not even be half impacted on by 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 the people who actually were were present at the event and uh, you know that food inevitably would be just discarded now i think we've come up with great initiatives uh, over the years in terms of um, doing better in relation to waste. But I still think there's a lot of waste. And I still think there's a lot of, and it's not just waste in terms of, you know, food and it's, it's waste in terms of resources as well. Uh, I would like us to be a more efficient industry than we are at the moment. Um, I think there are far too many levels involved in decision-making processes. Uh, everybody has somebody who's responsible for something. So on a, on a typical incentive travel experience, you will have the client, you will have the incentive house, you will have the DMC, you will have the hotel, and all are responsible for the same thing often. Um, you know, I think that's a, a kind of a, 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 an over-exaggeration of, um, of, of, of resources that really needs to be sorted out as well. 
So that's that's that that would be my my thing that we would just be more efficient uh, and less conspicuous in our consumption. I think that's a excellent points there, and it's very interesting that you talk about the decisions as well, not just the actual you know food waste. I mean, of course, that's a decision to put on a massive buffet and to staff for X number of people, but it's still uh, decisions at all levels impact that. Brilliant. Uh, really enjoyed chatting, uh, Parikh. I think this is this is a fantastic conversation. I know that the Site Global Conference is happening very, very soon, and you're very, very busy preparing for that. Give us a little bit of a, a short preview about what's happening, because this podcast will be out in the next few days. So there may still be time for people to register. So I wonder if you could set the scene for that. Fantastic. A free commercial. That's great. So Dublin, the 20th till the 23rd of April. So that's kind of coming up within the next kind of two and a half weeks. Uh, we have well over 400 people um, signed up at the moment and still registrations coming in every day. Um, it's three days and a couple of days then in advance for, um, for chapters and uh, individual site members who are part of other programs and so on. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a three day immersion in Dublin. We've got uh, social events in the Guinness Storehouse Beautiful gala event sponsored by our great friends in IMEX um, in the, uh, the Convention Centre in Dublin. And then a final night in the Museum of Literature, Ireland. This being the 100th anniversary of the publication of James Joyce's Ulysses. It's a, a very apt location to be for that. Mm -hmm. um, there'll be lots of stories that we're, we're telling on the stage and informally throughout the entire event. We've got some amazing speakers a uh, huge amount of peer-to-peer -peer activity and 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 um, it's always been a characteristic of, of of site and I think a really really powerful way of getting takeaways that you can actually use in your own company is hearing other people in their companies and what they've done. And Absolutely. then we've got a digital day on the Monday, which is um, two days after the event. The event itself, we we have a lot of the content from the event that we'll be relaying to a digital audience around the world. So really looking forward to that. And so there's a digital or an online registration that you can uh, pay for that if you want? Yeah, and we're launching that this very day. Oh, very good. Yeah. And is there a sort of hot topic or key theme that you think is, is kind of permeating throughout the conference? The, the theme is there. And uh, I, I think, you know, we, we, we feel that it's a very apt theme for the times that we're in you know they're daring times and uh, we think that people who dare to do things differently um, will be the ones that will prevail and, and prosper and do exceptionally well and we want to encourage the incentive travel community all over the world to dare uh, to dare to think big think differently and um, so that's our that's our core theme and we're, we're excited about that. Sounds like a good and very apt core theme for, for this year. Um, last question for you. Um, who should we have next on the podcast? Of course, you were recommended by two people uh, already. So it would be great to get your recommendation as well. And, and I don't know if this person has already been recommended. But, um, you know, so if this person has been recommended, I do have a, a, another one that I can suggest. But the, the one that I actually thought of is my great friend Tahira Endian. Who is she the, has. Uh, she was the second person on the podcast, actually. All right. Okay. So then, then, <laughs> then, I'll, then, then I'll change for that. And I will recommend Karen Bollinger, who is um, in Melbourne. Well, actually, she's just moving from Melbourne, but she's, uh, she's Australian. Mm -hmm. She has been in the world of business events uh, as a leader on the DMO side for many, many years. And then as a um, an officer in uh, in PCMA, and uh, I had the pleasure of working with Karen on a consultancy project recently, and was just absolutely thrilled to uh, to interact with uh, the mind, the great mind that she is, and the great heart that she is. So I would highly recommend Karen. Uh, she's she's a, a force to be re reckoned with and uh, a great person and spokesperson for our industry. Brilliant. Thank you for that recommendation. Park, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to let you go and we wrap up the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us and best of luck with the Site Global Conference. It sounds like an excellent event. Uh, I can't wait to hear more about it. Thanks, Miguel. All the best. Bye-bye now.
Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.